As you just prayed, whether or not we're aware of it, God is always active and calling us into a new kingdom, a new reality that's going to surprise us. Um, I think that that's what Epiphany is really all about, is the revealing of these surprises that God has for us. Um, last week, I was just recently back from a trip, a family trip where we went to Puerto Rico, and Harry Kennan uh, gave the sermon for us while Phil was away at another church. And the scripture text that I'm, that I'm reading from today is from the prophet Isaiah, and um, it's a text that is used a lot for those who are called to lead the church. But it is also a prophecy to the church, to the people of God, who the people, to those who would love and desire to live into the eyes of God's new reality. Um, last week, uh, Harry began by showing you a map of the Holy Land that was all divided and messed up. And he said, you know, in the time of Jesus, the politics and the conflicts of that area were, were messed up. And he said, and they're messed up today. And in fact, the context of a lot of the gospel preaching is to a world that's always in conflict and turmoil. My sermon today is to share with you something about that same region 700 years before the time of Jesus, in the time of Isaiah, the prophet. And I'm going to read to you some of the prophecy of Isaiah, um, where he talks about what it, would, what it is to be called to be the spokesman for God to God's people and invite them into this new reality, this new kingdom, the hope of what is to come. And this is what is recorded in the prophet Isaiah. This is the 49th verse of Isaiah. <clears throat> Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you people from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver, and he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I say, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. And yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. Now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Then the Lord said, it is too light a thing, that you should be my servant merely to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. No, I will give you as a light to all nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and the Holy One who deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up. Princes shall prostrate themselves because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. Listen for the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
We read from these ancient texts, this, this prophet from the Old Testament, from a time when um, the, the Hebrew people lived in a land that was every much as in turmoil as we consider it today or in the time of Jesus. It was so in the time of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was chosen by God to prophesy to the kingdoms of Judah and Israel. Now, this is another map. This is Isaiah's time. In Isaiah's time, the kingdom was divided. Uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, had already gone astray. Uh, Isaiah prophesied against all the bad things they were doing. Well, sure enough, they fell to the Assyrians, and they were a lost cause. But now he turns his attention to Judah, the faithful remnant, and is encouraging uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, to follow in the way of God, or you're going to go the same way as the Isra Israel did. Because that's what prophets like to do. They're kind of these fiery people who love to say, y'all are going to be in big trouble if you don't listen to me. That's what prophets do. The first part of the book of Isaiah includes a lot of rants about how Judah is going astray. A lot of complaints about corruption, immorality, that if they don't get their act together, then they're going to go the same way as Israel did. And Israel's already lost cause. And this is what prophets like to do. And sometimes they can scare people into changing their ways. There are little bits in most prophets that raise up these ideas that this is not just going to happen because I convince you to change your ways and to not be like Israel but be more faithful. And it is those little bits that come in. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah is in the seventh chapter where he puts this, throws in this little thing, for behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel. And he will save his people. And then he goes on ranting and raving more about how they're doing everything wrong. But that one little glimpse that, that, that points out to the fact that you're not going to save yourselves. This world's not going to save itself. Our society's not going to save Our salvation comes from Emmanuel. God will come to us, and we will know the salvation of God. And these prophets in their rantings, they, they throw in these little, bit, these little tidbits about these surprises that will come our way. And we know these are true. Um, much of the first part of the book of Isaiah is this typical prophet stuff about repentance and turn from your way just like John the Baptist did before Jesus showed up God uh, will restore you this is the first part of Isaiah uh, most scholars believe that the book of Isaiah is actually two different people uh, the first one this ranting and raving against Judah and Israel and, and praying and saying and God is going to restore us God is going to bring us back together Israel and Judah. The separated kingdoms will be what they once were. But then there's a shift. And it is a shift that says, you know, that might not be the gospel of God, that God's going to make us what we once were, because we have a God who makes a new thing. That's what epiphany is all about. There's a new thing coming, and it's not going to be like the old thing or the restoration of the broken thing. It's going to be a completely new thing. Um, 
This last week, uh, I told you, I, I spent the week in Puerto Rico with my siblings, just the four of us. No parents, no children, no spouses. And we were getting together to kind of talk about our family and share who we were as adults, not with, not with our kids and all, but just as, as people who've known each other our whole lives. And, 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 and we kind of did some, some healing of relationships. I don't know if you have great relationships with your siblings, but they get strained and stressed sometimes. Did you know that? So we talked about some of those things. Uh, we talked a lot about our parents and, and how we want that twilight of their lives to go and how we wanted to be involved in that. Now, I kind of push that because as a pastor, I see a lot of things that could be done better among siblings as they try to care for their aging parents. And so a little bit of forethought was what I was hoping. It was good. It really, it really turned out great. But in the process, we talked about our own lives, our children, our parents, our wives, our husbands. And then we told stories about I remember, because remember, we know everything about each other. We told stories about ex-wives and ex-husbands. You know, the parents of my nephews and nieces who are no longer with my current siblings, right? Because life's complicated. It goes that way. And it's neat to sit down with your siblings who know everything about you. They've been to all the weddings. They've been through all the surgeries. They've been through all the divorces. And then the second divorces after marrying the first wife again, the second time, then divorces. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. You don't need to know all those stories. But we talked about all these things. And they were all in the context of how we as a family are linked together. We cannot stop being each other's brothers and sisters. We can't. We are that. Just as we, the church, are the children of God, we cannot separate ourselves. And we have things to do. We have a future to live into. We have parents to take care of and a world to, to, to make better for our children and our children's children and to live out the purpose God made for us. And it's so neat to do that when you really believe that you're talking to people who you cannot ever stop being brothers and sisters you can't not be that anymore you know the real message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that every human being on the planet is a sibling boy that's a tough one to live into we're not good at it we're re we are good at hurting each other we certainly know how to divorce uh, there's estrangement everywhere when I got back from Peru in this, this time with my siblings, uh, that, that picture, by the way, we're waiting for the tsunami because we didn't know where to go, and there's a tsunami warning, and we're right on the ocean. And we said, you know, if we're going to go, we're going to go together. And it never came. Interesting. So I came back, and I heard the news that, uh, that the United Methodist Church had, no, had just gone out in the, in the news that we're going to have a split in our church. You know, I was grateful I didn't hear the news then I heard it when I got back and people say Gary what do you think about that how do you feel about that what does it mean if the Methodist church is going to divide and I thought oh my goodness I should probably say something about that and then I thought well I you know I know exactly what to tell you about what I think and how I feel because you know exactly what I think and how I feel you know why I know that because everyone in this room has experienced divorce with somebody they know or love or related to. I mean, that's the world we live in. I know exactly how I feel. 
Because I can remember how I felt when I first heard that my older brother was going to get a divorce back when I was 20 years old. I thought, what? 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 Right? Uh, you might know what that felt like when you heard about someone you know and love who's separating. Um, I remember when, in my early 20s, uh, my wife Beth got the news that her parents were going to divorce. I was what? Oh my gosh. So you have that feeling when, when you hear this news, right, that it's something that you wish wasn't going to happen, but it is going to happen, and that someone you love is going to separate from someone else you love, your brother, your sister, your parents. I think probably the hardest thing is if you hear the day, do you know what it felt like the day you heard that one of your children was going to divorce from their spouse with whom you share grandchildren? That's got to be tough. And apparently it's something that we're good at because uh, the latest statistics are that most middle schoolers uh, the majority of high schoolers and almost all college students have someone in their life who's been divorced. I mean, that, so we're, we're good at that. We know what that feels like as siblings. But the other thing that we know is that divorce does not mean that family life stops. Because the birthdays keep coming. And you've probably been to a birthday party of a child, of a parent who's also been remarried, who has another child and parents from another marriage. We, we've been there. We go there. We show up because it doesn't stop. The relationships don't stop. Divorce does not mean that love and joy and contentment and life stop. In fact, somehow... Grace finds its way in there. You know that. And I know that. We've all experienced it. So while you say, well, what, what do you think about the church? Well, you all know what you feel about it. It's a family member that you don't want to see go through a divorce. We all have friends and loved ones who've been through this most most people know that feeling. We also know that it's something we wish we could have avoided, but I don't think there's anybody here who thinks you truly can because it is part and part of our world today. It's not good, but it happens. So the question is, for God's people who look to a God and a Savior of love, is kind of like the question put before Isaiah as he transitioned from 1st Isaiah to 2nd Isaiah. He stopped saying, oh, we got to get the kingdoms back together. And started saying, when God said, it's too light a thing that I would ask you to reunite the kingdoms. You know what I'm asking you to do? I don't want you to just get back together to the way you were. I want you to be a light to the nations. I want you to take this experience you've had, this hurt you've had, this brokenness that you've experienced and proclaim that God can make it right and beautiful and loving even in the midst of its complexity. Most of 1st Isaiah 
is this typical prophet going on and on about what's wrong with the world. But there's this shift that happens after chapter 40 where the prophet starts saying, no, comfort my people and take what they have experienced and, oh, Lord, don't just bring back Judah and Israel, but make my people and their experience a light to the nations. So when we pray for our families and our brothers and sisters, when we pray for our world, when we pray for our church, and particularly the United Methodist Church, let's pray the same way we prayed when we heard that one of our siblings or spouses or friends or parents or somebody was breaking up. You know what I prayed? I remember one time, I said, Lord, thank you that they're not going to hurt each other anymore. And then I would pray, and oh, Lord, let the kids be okay, right? So, 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 so there's the, we're, I'm thankful they're not going to hurt each other anymore. And let, let's let everybody that's around that somehow have a sense that life's going to go on and there will come a time of peace and there will be laughter again and there will be love and there will be abundance again in these families that are very complicated that require extra grace. That we learn grace when you are in a blended family. You live grace every day when you're in a blended family. And Isaiah would say, Oh Lord, let this learning of grace become a light to the nations that this world, which is one big family that's really good at divorcing, see the light of eternity. That there is a Savior, a child, born, who is Emmanuel, God with us. When we pray, let's pray after the vision of second Isaiah, not just that what we know and had can be restored, but of a brave, new, bright light to the nation might be revealed as we confess our brokenness.